Well, good morning. Would you take your Bibles out this morning? My name is Pastor Milo. I'm so glad to have you here with us today. It is a different kind of Sunday, and that's good. I am definitely not used to this fortress. It's a little bit different. I don't know whether I'm supposed to stand over here. I don't know what to do with it. So that's good. We'll get used to it together, all right? So today what we're doing uh, is poking fun to some extent of what, what's happened here in the church 30, 40, 50, 60 years ago for some of you. Uh, there's, there's a lot of things that uh, we like and that we remember. There's some things that uh, you may not like as much when you remember it. Uh, the church that I grew up in uh, was built in the 70s. So this church uh, here was finished in 1971, uh, this building that you're sitting in right now. Uh, but the building that I grew up in and the church that I grew up in was built right in the middle of the 70s. And so all of the pews in the church were a pea-colored green. And, um, and so those things really popped. They were nice because they went real well with the orange shag carpeting uh, that was everywhere in the church. And in that church, whether uh, this was something that was done a lot of times in churches of that day, is all the way up to the chair rail, that, that orange shag carpet went all the way up to the chair rail, all the way around the room. So that was the church that I grew up in. And my wife and I got married pretty young. We actually didn't realize that it was possible to go and get married at a church that looked pretty. We thought, we thought you had to get married at the church that you went to, which is a pretty good idea, I suppose. Uh, but we got married in the evening at night to try to cover up as much of this as you could possibly cover up by candlelight. And uh, even the stage, uh, Aaron, we, we spent money on as many possible sheets, white sheets, as we could buy to just cover up uh, a lot of what was going on there in the church during those days. Uh, but that church started in the 70s. It was a new church start there in Yorkshire, New York. You know where that is. Central Baptist Church is where I grew up. Uh, but there at that church uh, in the late 80s, early 90s, our church went through a pretty rough church split. And what happens when a church splits is there are people who say awful things to one another and uh, do it in, in a really weird setting because you're supposed to be the body of Christ. And the body of Christ is fighting with one another. And that's a situation for me as a young, as a young kid between 8 years old, maybe 11 years old, somewhere in that time frame. I distinctly remember those wounds that happened there in that church. And some of you have grown up in churches uh, and gone through some of those type of experiences. And I will never forget... The Sunday morning, that there were two families remaining in a church that had once sat 400 people. And so with our two families sitting there looking at each other going, what are we going to do? What is next? What is going to happen? And there when I was a, a teenager, there was a pastor, Paul Phillips with his name. He came to our church. Uh, he came to our church with no salary. We did have a, a parsonage and we had a box in the back uh, that was helped to help pay for his uh, groceries uh, there in the back. And his willingness to come and serve that church. Uh, I, I'm happy to report to you that his son, a friend of mine, Ben Phillips, is now the pastor. Remember uh, last fall, if you do, that he came and spoke here at the church. And that church now is 300 people off the middle of a cornfield. And uh, God is just doing some really special things there in the church. Uh, but division in the church is a, is a nasty thing. And it happens more often than we would like to. Uh, uh, agree to it. And in 193 years, is what we're celebrating this year as a church, uh, you can walk through and sometimes uh, you have to go kind of closely when you look back at history because a lot of times we like to talk about the positive things that have happened and we don't always talk about a lot of the negative things that happened. And so 193 years of history here as a church, there were some pretty rough times. There were some pretty rough days, not only inside of the church, 
uh, but pretty rough days for the people here at the church. Uh, this church uh, lived through the Civil War. It lived through both of the World Wars. It lived through the Korean War. It lived through the Vietnam War. It lived through uh, our latest conflicts that we've had in the Persian Gulf and the War on Terror and all of that. Just disturbance all around, and this church has lived through all of those things, and yet it remains here. And so how does that happen? Because uh, we are in some tough days as a nation. Uh, there is no question about that. Within the last 48 hours, as you know, there have been shootings here in our country. We've had two different locations where people have lost their lives seemingly absolutely meaninglessly and mindlessly. And so we are living in a divided land as well. There's a lot of uh, rhetoric that goes back and forth right now. The Democrats are uh, in their debates back and forth of who will run against President Trump for president. And each one of them will tell you, uh, it will be the same in the re uh, Republican debates as well, of how they want to unify this nation. And then they uh, pursue to then go on and break down and knock down and fight with the people around them uh, in the name of unification. And so it's a very confusing time for us as a church, but we are to be reminded that there have been other very confusing times uh, for the church as a whole, specifically for Randall Church as well. The concern of the Apostle Paul in more than half of the New Testament in his writing is about drawing the church together. What is the church and how are we supposed to function with each other? Specifically in the book of Romans, we, we learn about this unification. Uh, when we talk about unification, we need to be reminded that uh, the church is to be unified. There's supposed to be unity in the church. Uh, we are not talking about uniformity within the church. We're talking about unity within the church. We are not talking about uniformity. And this church that I grew up in and the division that happened there and the breakdown that happened in that church was because there was leadership in the church that decided that the church needed to be uniform, not that the church needed to be unified. And it wasn't long, it was two, three, five years later that in the name of unification, the church was on its last legs. We are called to be unified, not exactly the same, to be clones of one another. When we look at the church, we are made up of different skin colors. We are made up of different age ranges. Uh, particularly this church, we talked about four generations present on a Sunday. We are talking about different income brackets, different and additional uh, demographic studies that you could find within our church. And we are a different people. Look to the person next to you and say, friend, you are a different person. And then look back and say, you are a very different person. You see, as a church, well, we live here in Buffalo, New York, as all of you know, and, and we are big fans, most of us, of the Buffalo Bills. We would expect that when that team lines up to play, that they would all be working towards the same goal. There's a wide receiver who needs to run routes. There's a blocker who needs to block. There's a running back who needs to go through the gap when he's given the ball. There's a quarterback who needs to throw the ball to the person on the number so they can catch the ball. But when that happens, when that team comes together and plays that way, you would expect they would have a successful season. We don't know whether that will happen. It has not happened for a number of years. And it may not happen again this year. I know all of us are during preseason, and we're really excited. We think that this is going to be the year, but don't fall in the trap, friends. <laughs> it might be. You see, we all have different roles, but we all need to be headed in the same direction. Psalm 
Lord? Does the church want to have the anointing? Does the church want the blessing and the presence of God find unity? Here it says, how good and pleasant it is when brothers live together in unity. It is like precious oil poured over on the head, running down on the beard, running down on Aaron's beard, down on the collar of his robes. It is, that the, it is, it is as if the dew of Hermon were falling on Mount Zion, where the Lord bestows his blessing, even life forevermore. And so when, uh, when, when a priest was anointed, as the, the priest Aaron is being talked about here, the, the beauty of God's uh, presence was being anointed upon him, that he was going to be God's uh, chosen person, the spiritual leader of Israel. And so we should expect how good and pleasant it is when we live together in unity, that that is where we should find the anointing, the blessing, the productivity of the Holy Spirit of God. In Ephesians 4, 3, it says, make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. Today we're starting a new sermon series. The sermon series called This Is Us. This Is Us. And today we're talking about Romans chapter 15. Where this is the sermon title this morning is We Celebrate Faithfulness. We Celebrate Faithfulness. Now in Hebrews chapter 11 verses 1 it says, Now faith is a confidence of what we hope for, an assurance about what we do not see. This is what the ancients... Raise your hand if you're one of the ancients. All right. Or some translations say the people in the days of old. This is what they were commended for. Friends, this morning if we are coming and we know that we are standing on the shoulders of giants, spiritual giants who have gone before us, we need to remember what it is that we are standing on is the faith by which they were commended for. And Hebrews chapter 11 goes on to be this, this hall of fame for the heroes of the faith. And after it goes through name by name by name, the faith that they live by, chapter 12, verse 1, says this. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders us and the sin that so easily entangles. And let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer, the perfecter of our faith. Let us run. Let us run. Faithfully, The title of our sermon today is We Celebrate Faithfulness. The goal today is not to long for the good old days. The goal today is to allow God's word to point us towards what we should be running after. To point us after where our target is when we take off out of the starting gates. And now as a church, we are no longer in the starting gates. We are rounding the first turn, the second turn, the fourth turn. I'm not sure, but we ought to be running the race that God has set before us. How do we run towards that promise? How is it that we are to live our lives in a way that we faithfully throw off anything that may hinder us? How do we, the church, when I say the church, I do not mean specifically Randall Baptist Church here at 6301 Main Street. Because if you're a guest with us, you need to hear this as well today. When we are talking about running the race, we are not talking about this specific church. We are calling all Christians to be running the race that has been set before us. All who call themselves a follower of Jesus Christ ought to be running the race that has been set before us. How do we run the race well? How do we finish strong? I'm glad you asked. Romans chapter 15. This is on page 1190 in the Pew Bibles, if you're reading that. 1190 is the Black Bible in front of you, the New International Version. Romans chapter 15, beginning in verse 1. We go 1 through 6 this morning. 
to please ourselves. Each of us should please our neighbors for their good, to build them up. For even Christ did not please himself, but as it is written, the insults of those who have insulted you have fallen on me. For everything that was written in the past was written to teach us, so that through the endurance taught in scriptures and the encouragements they provide, we may have hope. May the God who gives endurance and encouragement give you the same attitude of mind toward each other that Christ Jesus had, so that with one mind and one voice you may glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Dear Lord, we thank you for your word this morning. We pray that it would strike a chord. We pray, Lord, that it would, uh, as, as the Bible does, Lord, that it would pierce and divide and, and do so, Lord, in a way that would pierce our very hearts. We thank you for the day that we are celebrating here today, but we look forward to the day when you return and we will all gather once again together in your throne. We love you and we praise you and we thank you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. If you've got a white sheet of paper in your bulletin, would you hold that up? That's your way to follow along this morning. There you go. All right, so your first fill-in this morning, we're not using our normal slide presentation. I'm trying to do it over here. And for those of you who knew that this was really high-tech in its time, uh, don't complain about not being able to see, okay? Uh, pastor Brian was talking about, uh, and he grew up as a pastor's kid, and so uh, his pastor, his dad, uh, went to some conferences and decided that uh, they really needed to up their game. And so before the service started, uh, he, as the pastor's son, sat next to the, the projector and had a timer on his watch. And every 10 seconds, he'd have to slide over the new announcement. So he had to wait 10 seconds and then slide over the next announcement because the church couldn't afford the, the, the PowerPoint projector and that type of thing. And so that was how he did it. But this morning, your first fill-in that I want you to, to fill in this morning is this. Let God's Example, lead you. Let God's example lead you. Let God's example lead you. Let me read those first three verses again. We who are strong ought to bear with the failings of the weak, not to please. Would you draw a, a circle, underline that, mark that in your Bibles? Not to please ourselves. Each of us should please our neighbors for their good, to build them up. For even Christ did not please himself, but as it is written, the insults of those who insult you have fallen on me. The strong must bear up the weak and help them grow. It takes love, it takes patience. And most of us, when we read this passage, when we open this, uh, this chapter up and read Romans chapter 15, verse 1, and we read, we who are strong ought to bear the failings of the weak, we pat ourselves on the back and say, boy, I almost pounded the pulpit. Boy, am I glad that I am strong. And the reality is, is most of us are weak. Most of us are inconsiderate. Most of us are impatient. Most of us do not have it together. Most of us walk around puffed up thinking that we've got it all together. And we'll, let me show you how it's done, friend. Let me show you how it's done, brother. Let me show you how it's done, sister. But in that process you realize how foolish we can really be. We have the honor here of serving in a church with many, many who have gone before, many who are still here with us, as we talked about earlier, to have 40, 50, 60 years here as a church. We need to be asking those who are strong to disciple us in the process. 
I've been here coming up on six years. Good for me. I'm just getting warmed up. Some of you got ten times as much experience as me. Remember, strength is for service, not for status. When we talk about strength here in Scripture, strength is for serving someone else, not for the status that it gives. When we say bear one another's burdens, it's not just putting up with them or tolerating them. It means to personally shoulder their burdens as if it were your own. And why would we do this? Because we love this individual enough. We love them enough to want to help them towards maturity, help them towards their highest goal, help them to become more like Jesus Christ. And those of you who are the stronger, leading the weaker, we need to stay close enough to them to be able to reach out, to give them a little bit of steadying when it is needed. Most of you probably remember, or you're going through it right now, when you try to help your kid learn how to ride a bike. Do you remember this process? For dads, this is the most frustrating days of your life. <laughs> you're running behind a kid, you're, you're leaning over, your back hurts, and, and the next thing you know, they, they hit the brakes and you run into them and then you both fall over into the grass. And what happens when you, when you allow someone or you're trying to help someone learn how to ride a bike is you, you're there with them. You catch them when they fall. You pick them up when they fall. But your, your job, your role, your, your, your whole purpose in being there is to support what they are doing. And when they get on their own, that is a good thing. And when you can step away, that's a better thing. And, when, and then 10 years, 15 years, 20 years later, when they get to help their kids learn how to ride a bike, then you really know that they know how to ride a bike. But that process is something that we also need to see that as well when it comes to caring for the failings of the weak. You see, if we live to please ourselves, we are not following God's example. You see, Christ's example was that he came to please the Father, it says here, and to help others. Some of you have read the book, The Purpose driven life. We talk about this in our membership class. Anyone who has read that book, maybe you remember the first sentence of that book is this. It is not about you. It is not about you. When we follow the example of Christ, I ask you to circle or underline the words please three different times in these two verses. It is not to please ourselves. No, we are here to please our neighbors, for even Christ did not please himself. But what did he do? He took on the insults or the iniquities of those who have insulted us. He has taken them himself. You see, Christ didn't regard his equity with God or his equality with God as something to be used for his own gain. Instead, he came reigning sovereign and still he served as a sacrifice for you and for me. Not only did Christ give up his robes or his deity, but he gave up his very life. He even sacrificed his very innocence on the cross for you and for me in exchange for our filthy rags, in exchange for our guilt. For he made him to be, who knew no sin, to be sin for us. I suppose we could sacrifice a few of our own freedoms in order to bring someone else along, to bring another believer along so they could experience greater freedom in Christ. We are to let God's example lead. Let God's example lead you. Secondly, here's your second fill-in for you this morning. Let God's word strengthen you. Let God's word strengthen you. 
For everything that was written in the past was written to teach us. So that through the endurance taught in scriptures and the encouragement they provide, we may have hope. Since he quoted the Old Testament, he talks briefly about its nature and its purpose. Like Paul, we can look forward to and we can look for truth and for guidance that come from Scripture and from the Bible. The Bible in the New Testament and the Old Testament is still relevant to us in our modern day, in our modern world. We will meet our deepest needs when we go back to Scripture. Friends, we are a New Testament church in that the church was called out in the New Testament, that God had set up, God ordained this church that we live in here today. We need to be reminded that all of God's word is all of God's word. And so we look through the Old Testament passages of Scripture through a New Testament lens. We put on our glasses and look through a New Testament lens when we look through Scripture. Say, what does this say about the Messiah? What does this say about the church? What does this say for you and for me? That is why we as a church try to our best. We strive to preach the whole counsel of God. If you've been with us for a few years, you'll know that we make our way back and forth between the Old Testament and the New Testament. It's our desire in somewhere between a three and a five year period to cover all of Scripture. And then we're going to go back around and we're going to do it again. And after that, we're going to do it again. We need to learn what God's Word is. There are passages of Scripture, there are books of the Bible that, as a speaker, I prefer over others. But if you find me in those passages all the time, I am not preaching the entire counsel of God. It is all God's word and we are to obey all of it. Why? Because it encourages us. It demonstrates God's attributes. It demonstrates his character. By reading the biographies of saints and reading the stories of those who have gone before us and have overcome great obstacles, we find that scripture does give us endurance and it encourages us to speak and to demonstrate truth. Here, Arthur Williams, Pastor Arthur Williams in 1928, and many of you know this, said that this church would be all about the Bible, the blood, and the blessed hope. The Bible, the blood, and the blessed hope. And now, almost 100 years later, we still hold true to those things. You see, the Bible gives us hope. You see, God has promised us a wonderful future. The blessed hope that we have is that we will one day shed off all of the sin as we, as we run this race, that one day it will all fall off because we will be standing in front of a holy God in glory. And we'll be standing there, not on our own merits, but the merits of Jesus Christ. And what we see when we, when we look at all of Scripture, when we, when we follow all of the Old Testament, all of the New Testament, and again, we, we read and we read and we read, what do we find? We find underlined again and again and again the wonderful grace of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Again and again, we see it highlighted. We see it illustrated. We see that promise coming true. Why? Because the Bible is full of flawed people. The Bible is full of damaged goods. And when we come to Scripture and we realize that we are just as messed up as the people we are reading about, and yet God chose to use them, there is hope. Abraham was an old man. Joseph was an abused child. Job went bankrupt. Moses had a speech problem. Gideon was always afraid. Samson was a womanizer. Rahab was a prostitute. The Samaritan woman, she was divorced. 
Jacob, he was a known cheater. David was a murderer. Jonah was a runner from God. Naomi, she was a widow. Peter had denied Christ three times. Martha was always worried about everything. Zacchaeus was small and he was hungry for money. The disciples fell asleep when they were praying. Paul was a Pharisee and he was persecuting Christians before becoming one himself. And yet, God chose these men and these women for great things. And he can choose to use you. And he can choose to use me. We find hope and encouragement through the Bible. So how do we finish strong? How do you finish strong? Let God's example lead you. Let God's word strengthen you. Thirdly, let God's power mature you or mature you. Let God's power mature you. Romans chapter 15. Romans chapter 15 verse 5 says, May the God who gives endurance and encouragement give you the same attitude or mind toward each other that Christ Jesus had. You see, the church was so important. And unity for the church was so important that Jesus gave his life for the church. In John chapter 17, verse 20, this is the end of Jesus' prayer before he goes to the cross. This is where he would be going, to the cross, to die on the cross for your sin and for mine. He says, I do not ask for these only. He's talking about the disciples that are there with him who he'd been praying with. But he says, but I also ask for those who believe in me through their word. And so that's you, that's me, that they will believe in me through their word. And, and so in doing so, he's praying for us right here. He's saying that they may all be one just as you, Father, are in me and I am in you. They are also be in us, that we will become one, that we will become unified, and that is why I'm going to the cross. Right after praying these words, Jesus goes to the cross. Why? Listen closely, particularly if you're visiting, particularly if you're here and you don't really know why we would be here this morning, why we would take a day like this. You need to hear the reason why he would do that, because I don't want you to miss this point, because it could change your life forever. You see, God created each and every one of us. And at this moment, he is sustaining every single one of us. And yet, every single one of us has sinned against God. He created every single one of us. At this moment, right now, he sustains, he holds us in this space. And yet we are all sinners. We've said in our own way, and, and however you've said it, however I've said it, we've said, I've got a better idea, God. I've got a better plan for my life than you. As a result of our sin, then we separate ourselves from him and we will one day die. That's what happens. That's the payment for our sin. You get a paycheck each month, each week, however that happens, you get a payment. And that is the payment for the wages, the, the payment for what you're due, for the work that you've done. We learn in scripture that the wages of sin is death. We die in separation to God. We spend eternity separated from him. But God loves us, scripture says. He loves us so much that he sent his son Jesus to die for us. God in the flesh into this world where Jesus lived the life that we could not live. A life of no sin. And then even though he had no sin by which to die, he chose to die for you and for me. But in that, we learn that it wasn't just for me and it wasn't just for you, it was for those who absolutely hate him. And yet he chose to die for them. He paid the price for sin. 
And then if that isn't good news enough, three days later, he rose from the grave. Three days later, he stood victor over death itself so that we have the ability to have our relationship restored. That break in the relationship between God and man is no longer there. It is restored through faith in Jesus Christ. And so in verse 5 says, May the God who gives endurance and encouragement give you the same attitude of mind toward each other that Christ Jesus had. Christ Jesus had the idea, Christ Jesus had the mindset that he would die for you and for me. And so we say this morning, let God's power mature you. Let, Let us understand that it is not in our own strength that we walk through this Christian faith whatsoever. We are being sustained We are being sanctified. We are being justified in who he is. Let God's power mature you. Romans 15, 6. This is your last filling for you this morning. To God be the glory. To God be the glory. Let God's example lead you. Let God's word strengthen you. Let God's power mature you. To God be the glory. Great things He has done. Look at this verse. So that with one mind and one voice you may do what? You may glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. With one mind and with one mouth. Someone said once to General Eisenhower from World War II, it's great you're able to coordinate all the teams in this great enterprise. The general quickly corrected him. He said, not teams. He said, no, the team. How can we be a united team? How can we be like-minded with one mind, with one mouth? Does it mean that we as Christians should never disagree? I doubt it. Billy Graham's wife, Ruth Graham, said uh, about marriage, she said, if two people agree on everything, then one of them isn't necessary. (laughs) See, it's not about agreeing on everything or coming to the same conclusions. In fact, it's obvious because you look at this chapter, it begins with the weaker brother and and the stronger brother. No, he's looking for the unity of perspective, to think as Christ thinks, to take on his virtues, take on his priorities. Unity provides and creates a symphony of praise to God. In a choir, when a choir sings, there's some who sing alto, some who sing soprano, some who sing tenor, and some who sing bass. There's different parts. There's different pitches. There's different, all these different parts come together, but should be in beautiful harmony. The same thing happens in an orchestra. The same thing happens in a wind ensemble when they play together. Everyone plays their note, plays their part, and they all start and stop at the same time, and all their tongues strike at the same time. It's an impossible feat. But when it happens, it's a beautiful thing. How does it happen? The musicians who are at the top of the game, the most phenomenal musicians, the best ones you could ever hear, the best ensembles you ever hear, how are they doing it? They are all following the conductor at the same time, friends. They are all following the conductor at the same time. And the body of Christ is no different. It's written there in your notes for you. Uh, The message translation says this about Romans 15, 6. Then we'll be a choir, it says. Not our voices only, but the very lives singing in harmony. And a stunning anthem to the God and Father of our Master, our Lord Jesus. See, today we honor the past. We believe we're being strategic in the present with how we do things now. But we are really building for the future. Some of you are more aware of that than others. That you are building both this church 
from a spiritual standpoint, this church, what we do from a strategic standpoint, you are building that for your children and your grandchildren, and we thank you for that. Listen, we're excited about the future. There's a lot of neat things that, that, are, that we're working on. There's a lot of neat ways that God is going to work. But I will tell you, those of you who've been here 50, 60 years, you weren't sure of it then. And it doesn't look exactly like you thought it might look. But God was still at work. See, 1971, when this building was completed, the organ that's behind me was $70,000 for that organ. It was $695,000 for this room that you're sitting in right now. In modern day, those numbers would be half a million dollars for the organ behind me. Five to six million dollars for this room that we're sitting in right now. In the next 50 years, financially, things are going to change, friends. Now, don't, don't get me wrong. I have no intention of building another sanctuary because I don't have five million. Do you have five million dollars? I don't have five million dollars. But we are in process of doing some things around here. We are in process of looking at the vision for the next year, the next coming years, and saying there is work that needs to be done. And that's why over the last couple of years we've been talking about uh, raising $400,000, which is about an annual budget year's amount of money to be able to do some things here. To be able to make some repairs, be able to set ourselves up for the future. So we encourage you to do that. And the reality is, is that's only a fraction of the cost of what's already been done here by many who have gone before us. But let me not make it about buildings. Let me not make it about lands or stuff or things or instruments. Because really our job is not to be builders of buildings or developers of land. God has called us to be disciple makers. We are told to go into all the world making disciples. And so we glorify God by making disciples of all nations. That's our mission statement here as a church. That's what we are about. That's what this church has been birthed on. That's what we find in Scripture, and we continue to do that. The first missionaries that came just after the Erie Canal was completed to be able to come here to Williamsville, New York. The Amherst Baptist Society was formed, and this church began. It went through some rocky days. It went through some rough times, but this church continues forward because people are being faithful to their leader, Jesus Christ. If this church is going to last another five years, if this church is going to last another 25 years, another 50 years, it won't be because we took it easy and sat back. It'll be because we stayed true to that mission, that we would be continued to send people out. This church has had a heritage of sending missionaries, both locally and abroad, and we will continue to do that. We believe that we've and from a strategy standpoint, we've set ourselves up in a good way to do that. To be able to say, we have these corridors, these school districts around us locally. We are going to be on mission in our own neighborhoods, on mission in our own school districts, on mission here in Buffalo, so that it doesn't seem weird when we go across seas and do the same thing. It doesn't seem out of the ordinary, because God has been developing us and training us right here in Williamsville, New York. You understand that around the world, we send missionaries to, to places that are more evangelized than we are here. We send missionaries to the Philippines. We send missionaries to China. We send missionaries all over the world. And yet here, we have what's called a single-digit culture, meaning that there are less than 10% of our area, less than 10% of, of the Northeast as a whole that are evangelized, that know Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior, Jesus, and as their Lord and Savior. There are less than 10% of the Northeast 
When, when uh, Barna just did another survey, when we look and see where are the most biblically illiterate cities, cities in America, uh, eight out of the top ten are in the Northeast. They are here. Friends, it's not for lack of churches. We're not the only church in this area to have almost lived 200 years. We're not the only one. But it's a lack of faithfulness. And so if we expect to last longer, if we expect to change culture, you see, we're not to be a reflection of the culture. We are to reflect Jesus to the culture. If we're going to be around any longer, it's going to have to be because we are pursuing darkness with light. May God work in our hearts. May he continue to drive and, and fulfill in us a desire to be faithful. Let God's example lead you. Let God's word strengthen you. Let God's power mature you. To God be the glory. We will sing that in just a moment. This morning is also a special time because we have a time of communion. We do this once a month, but it's a great opportunity for us to do it today. If our communion attendees would come forward. You see, communion is designed to be a family gathering around the table. Isn't this a special Sunday to be able to do this on? A heritage Sunday to say for, for years, for generations going back to Jesus, sitting there at the table with his disciples, they shared a meal together. They were reminded of the focus of what faithfulness really looks like. You see, we have faith when we, when we look at Scripture and we get excited about what the Bible has to say. That's faith. But faithfulness is actually living it out. And today we are celebrating faithfulness. Not just a matter of knowledge, but of living it out. And Jesus there at the Lord's Supper, when he sat down, when he gathered his disciples together, he was about to live out everything he had been teaching them. He was about to give himself entirely for them and ask them to do the exact same thing for their brother and for their sister. So if today you're a guest with us, you need to know that we are a church that has an open communion. Meaning if you are a follower of Christ, we'd love to have you be a part of our communion here. If you have trusted the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ as your Lord and your Savior, the boss of your life, will you join us in our communion family meal here today? If not, we'd ask you to hold back. We'd ask you to hold back for today. Come and talk to one of us. We'd love to invite you into the family. We'd also like to have some more time to be able to talk with you about that. The Apostle Paul in 1 Corinthians chapter 11 said, For I see the Lord, I also delivered to you that the Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, he took bread. So that's what we will do this morning as well. We'll take this bread, we will pass it down the aisle and give you an opportunity to participate in this family meal.
For I received from the Lord, I also delivered to you that the Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took bread and broke it. When he had given thanks, he broke and said, This do, this is my body, which is broken for you, this do in remembrance of me. Let's eat together. In the same way, he also took the cup after supper. In the same way, he almost took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me.
Thank you very much. Our ushers will come forward for the morning offering. Our instrumentalists will come forward as well. And our last song will encourage you to sing along as the offering plates are coming through and then stand as we finish to God be the glory. Great things he has done. But the story doesn't end here, and you know that, friends, right? We're not, we're not going back. <laughs> we're, we're not turning back the time. We're celebrating history, but I don't want it to be 1850 anymore. I don't want it to be 1826 anymore, and neither do you. See, God has called us to redream the dream, to look forward to what he has for us as a people, and in doing so, following through to God be the glory each step that we take. So this morning I pray that this has been an encouraging time. I pray that it's been an enjoyable time. But I also pray that you've been challenged to be faithful. Won't you be faithful? Dear Lord, we love you. We thank you for the church where we participate week after week. Lord, where people have gathered for nearly 200 years. Lord, that's a very special heritage by which we can stand on, Lord. But ultimately... Or it is not about a place or a building or a location, it's about you. So we pray that we've done that this morning, that we've pointed the attention back to you. We pray that as we sing these words this morning, to God be the glory, great things he has done, Lord, that that would be a focus on you and on no one else. We trust you, Lord, that you have made yourself clear and available to many today. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.